Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted Odorico, and uh, we got a little bit different show for you tonight. Uh, Going to cut it a little bit shorter than normal. Um, coming into the long weekend, of course, uh, everybody's uh, got a lot of other plans, so uh, we've made a few changes, or rather, I've made a few changes to tonight's show. But and I'll tell you about that here in just a minute. But uh, thanks for joining us uh, live here every Thursday evening on the BlogTalkRadio.com network. Uh, best way, of course, to find us is go to BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live or just simply type uh, Golf Talk Live up in the search key, and you will find us here front and center every Thursday from 6 to 8 Central. Uh, for those of you that can't join us live, just scroll down that page to the On Demand section, and uh, you will find us there as well uh, on the recorded version, which of course will follow tonight's episode, and then uh, all of the previously aired shows you'll find there in the On Demand section. So if you miss an episode uh, or a broadcast, not to worry, just visit the On Demand section at the link, and you can listen to it when it's convenient for you. Uh, some other great ways to listen to the show as well uh, is go to iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and now TalkStreamLive.com as well is another uh, social media platform that you can pick up the shows. Uh, not only this show, but also the Women of Golf show that I co-host with Cindy Miller uh, every Tuesday morning. Uh, those are both uh, plugged into that platform. So. Uh, lots of great ways to connect with the show. As always, I update on social media, Facebook, and on Twitter, and of course on LinkedIn. I think by now you guys know the, the links, but uh, go to facebook.com uh, forward slash Golf Talk Live blog is the main page. And of course, you can also follow on my personal page, Ted Odorico. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. CEO is in capital letters. And thanks again for all the recent followers. Uh, and you can also on LinkedIn.com, you can follow. Uh, the show as well, find out who's going to be coming on the guests, uh, both on the Coach's Corner panel and also uh, my featured guest of the evening. Uh, you can find out the information there. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. And if you want to call anytime during the live broadcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can call in area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you can reach out to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, as I mentioned, we've got a little bit changed to the show tonight. I've got two uh, two of my favorites, um, certainly have some other ones on there. I don't want to leave anybody out, uh, but a couple of the favorites that uh, come on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Clint Wright and Pete Buchanan, I'm going to tell you a little bit about them, and then I'm going to bring them on here. We're going to have a great uh, discussion. Uh, the change that we're going to do tonight is we're just going to have the Coach's Corner panel. We may extend a little bit longer, uh, just over the hour a little bit. will depend on whether or not the, the three of us can can uh, keep up longer than an hour, but uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little golf, and I've got some interesting stats we're going to go over uh, on the uh, Coach's Corner segment. Um, and then uh, we're not gonna have a, I'm not going to have a, uh, an interview guest tonight. Uh, we're going to cut a little bit short, as I said. But anyways, let me just tell you a little bit about the guys. Uh, I know most of you are familiar with them by now, but uh, Clint Wright, of course, he's a 30-year member of the PGA. 
Uh, he's also a partner at TGM Golf and a big proponent of the R3 approach, which he's talked about many times over the years, uh, and really among the best covering the short game today, in my opinion. Also, Pete Buchanan uh, has become a regular favorite as well on the Coach's Corner panel, and I'd like to call him a good friend as well. Uh, founder and director of instruction and owner of the Plain Simple Golf LLC, uh, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace, and he as well has also been teaching this great game for over 30 years. So definitely a couple of seasoned veterans. Uh, and as I mentioned, a couple of my favorites here on the Coach's Corner panel and guests on the program. Guys, welcome to the Coach's Corner panel tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Ted. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks, Ted. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Well, I know it was a lot to get out, guys, so I was trying not to be too long-winded the rest of the show and let you guys actually have a few minutes to, to jump in as well. Um, all right, guys, what we're going to talk about tonight on the, on the panel, I happen to come across the, um, a really great industry report put out by the National Golf Foundation uh, for their 2018 uh, industry report, as I mentioned. There's a couple of uh, interesting things here. There's quite a few things, actually, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then if we've got some time and you guys are still uh, willing, we're going to talk about maybe some things, uh, some other things that we'd maybe like to bring to the Coach's Corner panel for discussion that either hasn't been on the show yet uh, or maybe – uh, bears a little further scrutiny, so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, at the end of the segment uh, if, if everybody's still willing. But uh, one of the things I want to talk about, um, which sort of stares right at you here uh, out of the report, and that is uh, it, they pose the question of how many golfers can actually break 100. And I'm going to give you some stats, and we're going to talk a little bit about that and maybe some of the reasons why. Uh, I'll get your feedback, and then I'll add uh, some thoughts as well. So the, the main question is, okay, how many golfers can break 100? And in the game, around 5%, and this is based on the information that they've compiled here at the uh, National Golf Foundation, uh, about 80% consistently, um, or sorry, uh, 5% of the players are able to break below 80 consistently. Around 20% break between 80 and 90, while 25% break 100 consistently. So this leaves with basically 50% of golfers that do not have the ability to break 100 consistently. And this, is, of course, uh, is based on 2017 stats. So, Clint, I'm going to throw you under the bus first here, and I want to talk about this because it's very interesting stats when you think about it. So we, I think we understand the 5% uh, under 80, uh, breaking under 80 consistently. That, that seems to be uh, fairly uh, accurate. But over 50% of the golfers um, out there are not able to – consistently break 100 or better what are your thoughts on that and what are your uh based on your experience uh, all these years what do you think primarily a lot of the reason for that is well you know uh, there there's some underlying assumptions that, that we have to to go with but the the point i guess i would get to is you know the the game we play is a, a simple a simple approach game if you look at the rule number one it's you just hit a ball in succession of strokes until it's holed. Simple concept, ball and stick game. And for some reason over the years we have put this, this you know, measuring stick on you can break 80, you can shoot par, you can shoot under 100. You know, these are, these are you know, rules of thumb that we use to determine if you're a good player or not. And, you know, you have to take in uh, consideration – that person that can't break 100, how long have they played? How much time do they dedicate to it? 
And do we truly expect them to do any better than that based on their time that they've played and, you know, the amount of effort they put into lowering their score below 100? You know, we right. see them all the time. I mean, we've always joked over the years, heck, if it was for the good players, the game we'd all starve to death. You know, <laughs> we we have a game in, a, in an industry that's supported by by people that, that come out and are great people, they enjoy what they're doing, that are really shoot an arbitrarily high number that we have set as some kind of rule of thumb. Okay? Right. So, you know, I kind of guard against the, the idea that, well, so, only so many people can break 100. Well, so what? They still come out. They still enjoy what they're doing. And and they're supporting our industry and our families and and college tuitions and everything all around the country, and so right. we we think well why aren't they doing better? Well, there's a lot of reasons they're not doing better. Maybe they're spending too much time at work and not spending enough time on the practice tee, you know. But they're still there, and to me yeah. that's the real secret to the game we play is that we have the vast majority of people play this game based on our standards that don't play it very well, but they still play. And there's something Mm -hmm. to that. You know, I I think it comes down to just, you know, how much time are they spending to lower their score? You know, we've had this conversation over the the years about how we teach people to try to score better. You know, I spend time – in the third shot clinics trying to tell people, hey, if you can get it in the air and move it down range, you're doing okay. Now let's talk about how you're going to get it in the hole from 50 yards out. Mm-hmm. That's scoring. But, you know, that's a hard thing to get people convinced of when they want to blast it on the range with their driver. So I think there's some issues that you can deal with, but I think, to be honest with you, I think we put a – we, we put a standard on it that may not be all that realistic for the amount of people that play and the time and the time and they put into it to lower their score and the approach they're taking. So maybe if we want to look at ourselves there, we need to start taking people to the to the scoring area a lot faster. If we want to really make those numbers look different, we as golf instructors, maybe some of us need to start taking an approach that, hey, let's get our people hitting in the air and then see if we can get them to shoot under 100 if that's the number we want to put on it. Yeah, that's some great uh, points, Clint, Um, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, I think, um, Pete, I want you to to jump in here, and I want to take a a couple of uh, points what Clint talked about here. Are, Are we maybe putting too much pressure on the average golfer out there to, to focus on the numbers a little bit too much. And are we taking away their fun? You know, as Clint said, Pete, you know, a lot of people just, you know, even though they're maybe not breaking a hundred or, or 90 or what have you, they're just going out there. They're having fun. They're doing something that they love. Are we as an industry, maybe making a bigger deal out of the numbers than what need be? What are, what are your thoughts on, on what, uh, what I read out and, and what Clint said and, and, and uh, as a general rule. Well, I, you know, ditto a lot of what Clint said, but, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm writing down some numbers as I'm listening to you guys talk. And, you know, you can basically say, you know, roughly 70% of the golfers shoot 90 and above roughly, you know, 45% between 80 and a hundred. So, you know, maybe we do have the score wrong. You know, I don't think when we go watch, you know, amateur basketball, we're going to compare them to how the NBA plays. 
you know, it's just not mm-hmm. a fair comparison. So I think, it, you know, maybe we should start looking at it that, you know, maybe an 18 handicap is is the norm or a 20 handicap is the norm. Uh, or, you know, so you're looking at a score around 90. So maybe that's what the focus should be. Let's get them to an 18. You know, maybe that's mm-hmm. the, the goal. So I think I think you're right. I think the scoring has been looked at, um, you know, too much pressure to get too low. Um, I, you know, us as teachers, we're always going to be geared toward trying to get people better and make them shoot lower scores. But I think Clint hit on a pretty big thing. I think a lot of times we spend too much time uh, not showing them how to score uh, yeah. in, in an overall basis. So, you know, getting it in the air and moving it forwards not as hard as getting it in the hole from 40 yards. You know, and, uh, you know, it's funny because when you first started off with that, because somebody said the other day, you know, if you're going to make a four on a par four, what's the most important shot? And, I mean, you know, I said the fourth one, and everybody thought I was crazy. And I said, well, if the fourth one doesn't go in, you can't make a four. So, to me, the fourth one's got to go in the hole. <laughs> um, so, right. the fourth one's pretty darn important. And they said, well, you got to drive it, you got to position it. I said, no, time out. Let's keep it pretty simple here. If you're going to make a four, the fourth one's the most important. And I think, you know, we put too much pressure a lot of times on the, the one off the tee, the iron off the approach. So I think if we can reasonably get them down, as Clint said, get them down the way and then show them, you know, from 40 or 50 yards on in some, some better ways to get it up and, and in the hole, I think we're going we're gonna to get these scores, you know, more on an average toward 85 instead of the vast majority of them shooting over 100. Yeah, I agree as well, Um you know, I think something too, guys, um, and you both really have touched on this, but I just want to uh, sort of wrap it up and then we're going to move on to uh, to the next uh, segment. But, you know, I think there is a lot of pressure put on the average golfer out there, um, you know, to play by the numbers. And I think this has caused a lot of the frustration. You know, we're, we're talking about, well, we're going to break 100. Then when we get them, then we are successful to get them down to 90. Now we're going to get them further down. And I think what happens is we're actually, in a roundabout way, taking the fun out of the game. I mean, part of the fun is improving, certainly, and challenging yourself, um, but also being having realistic expectations. Um, you know, for us to try and grind some you know, golfer that's barely breaking 100 now and hopes of getting him down to, you know, between 70 and 80, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty monumental task. That's not impossible, but it's a pretty big task. Uh, and to do that consistently without some sort of major overhaul. And as Clint pointed out uh, in, in his, his uh, response, is how much time is the average golfer willing to, to spend on the golf course? I mean, it's not impossible to get somebody to go from 100 to 70, uh, but with a lesson here and there and a little bit of time here and there on the, on the practice tee, it's just not going to happen realistically. So first off, I think we have to understand when we do our assessments of, of a golfer is, first off, what do they expect and what time frame are they willing to commit to get to that? If they want to you know, be a scratch golfer, okay, what time uh, commitment are you willing and prepared to make in order to accomplish that? And is it something realistic based on where you are right now, given that time frame. So there's a lot of questions that need to be asked, but I think that primarily, I think we as an industry, and it's no one person or another, but I think we as an industry put more, uh, more of a premium on the numbers than I think with most of the golfers out there. And I think for a long time they've bought into it, and I think they're starting to realize, hey, uh, you know what, 
maybe 105 is the best I'm going to shoot. I, I just want to play, you know, maybe a couple times, three, four times a month at best. I don't expect to shoot, you know, uh, you know, certainly 70, 80. I'd be lucky if I hit 90. If I do, great. If I don't, you know, so be it. So I think that we have to really sort of take a look as a whole in the industry of really what we're doing to the average golfer, especially now, and we're going to get into this question in, in a few moments, but um, there's another segment of the population that's obviously aging, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but but great answers, guys, and I think we're, we're pretty much all on the same page with that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about participation, uh, just to give you an idea of, uh, and I'm talking about participation in the game itself. Uh, there is, uh, it, it remains fairly stable uh, in, in 2017 with an estimated uh, 23.8 million people who played golf on a course in 2017, uh, which is pretty much the same as, uh, you know, give or take a few, uh, as uh, 2016. Uh, then again, there's another 8.3 million that played exclusively off course at facilities like, as an example, Top Golf, driving ranges, or indoor simulators, um, putting the game's overall participation pool at more than 32 million. Um, I'm a little bit iffy on that because I don't think, first off, not the first part, but the last part, I don't think necessarily that 8.3 million doesn't include some people out of the first 23.8 million uh, who may also go to uh, simulators or may also play at Golf Talk. So I don't know if there's a $32 million pool uh, as a collective. Um, I'm going to get your thoughts on that. Pete, I'm going to start with you on that. But so the numbers are staying fairly sa uh, stable as far as number of, of golfers out there on the golf course. And obviously there is a pretty large segment that are going into other facilities like, like a top golf or a simulator. What are your thoughts there? Um, you know, obviously we're going to get into growth in, in what areas are growing, but it seems to sort of leveling out here. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I've seen some of the studies too. I, I think you're, you're pretty spot on with, it leveling off is then there, there may even be some decline um, with as many golf courses that are closing every year, um, which may be for, you know, different reasons. It might be a whole nother show uh, just to do that. But, um, you know, yeah, there are, there are, I'd say there's probably carryovers like you're talking about that are going to top golf and some of the other places. I, I know that for sure, because they just opened one here. Sure. And I know how many of the golfers who, you know, typically are, uh, you know, out uh, playing golf that are also going to those venues. Um, so that may be a little bit uh, underneath there. But I think, you know, we have to start to look at it as a whole, um, and you're probably going to bump into this a little bit as we go along, but, you know, how are we going to increase these numbers? Um, you know, even yep. if we have, even if the 8.3 is correct, how do we get those from there on to the, to the golf course? And how do we make that same entertainment value that they're seeing and that's drawing them to a top golf or to an indoor facility. How do we bring that out and, you know, get it into, you know, bringing them to a regular golf course and, and making it still a, the same kind of entertainment value. How do we bridge that gap and get them in there? Um, and so, you know, that's something that can be discussed as well, but, you know, I think your numbers are, um, you know, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I've heard, you know, roughly, you know, mid twenties uh, millions that, that are playing the game. And so right. I think that's about right. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, moving forward, we got to get that number up. So it only benefit all of us. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Clint, just to, to sort of piggyback on that a little bit, um, 
I think one of the things I wish they had have put in this report um, would, would, would really bear some interest, in my opinion, is not so much the 23.8 million, but the 8.3. Um, first, to go to what P uh, Pete's point was, uh, is how many of that is a crossover? I mean, how many of those folks are actually out on the golf course as well? But also, I would have liked to have known uh, the on average, uh, a breakdown of the age groups of that 8.3 million that are going into a simulator or something like a Top Golf. Are they primarily younger golfers or new golfers coming uh, out? I'd, I really would have liked to have known that demographic a little bit more uh, closely to get an idea of where to, to sort of target. Um, but what do you think about the numbers that uh, we just talked about, and what are your thoughts as well? Well, you know, I, I think if you, if you look at those numbers, you just have to take them at their face value. We 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 don't have our research panel here to determine whether they were right or wrong. Uh, I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been to several top golfs, and it, and the the people that participate there are all over the board. I mean, there's the right. you, you see the people that bring their own clubs in to maybe practice, or you got the nine-year-old birthday party down on the corner and you got the the ladies night out on the other end and and um you can walk up and down there and and with your trained eye and mine and peach you can say well that's a golfer that's not a golfer that's a golfer that's not a golfer <laughs> you know uh and you can tell the ones that are there for golf plus entertainment versus the one that are there just for for entertainment and and regardless it's good i mean there, there's nothing negative about any of the, what i've just said but, you know, part right. of the problem, you know, um, my experience in the golf industry has been in two or three different directions. But I think if we're honest with ourselves about our industry, we, we've got players. The problem of it is we've got a supply that was built in mm -hmm. with really no regards to our sport on whether they were needed or not for the people that play. The, right. the vast majority of the golf courses built in America in the last 25 years have been built as real estate drivers and amenities to a community. Right, right, you're right. There was too many people playing one golf course across town. We need more golf holes. They were built to increase the value of the real estate that people were buying it around. And we're now beginning to see that in the last 25 to 30 years, these subdivisions, these developments are maturing, and, oh, we don't have enough people to play golf here now. Because a lot of the folks that bought in those communities, okay, mm -hmm. are are getting to a non-playing age, a very simple way of saying that some of them are getting too old to play. Yep. And the people that are buying those homes are younger families, the majority of those people that are in that 45 to 30-year-old range, they never remember a time where there wasn't good public golf. You know, years ago, you had to be a member of the country club to have the best golf course, but now that's not necessarily the case. And they, they've got young families. They're not, they're not playing golf like that, that person that happened to buy the first home in the subdivision with a nice golf course. Mm -hmm. um, and... So we have to understand that part of the problem in our industry is it's coming, that it's balancing. It's beginning to balance itself back out. And in our industry, like many, you're, you're talking about a huge investment and a huge amenity. It doesn't happen overnight. Okay? It, it, it takes years for it to balance out, and I think we're beginning to see 
uh, kind of the middle range, in my opinion, of this rebalancing of supply and demand in our sport. Yeah. Uh, and yep. no. like Goffin, Goffin, my area here is in really good condition because we've had a couple of closures. The population's growing, and there's nobody going to build another golf course in the foreseeable future. So our supply and demand is going to go a little bit more, and there's going to be the demand growing, but the supply is not growing. So that's a good mm-hmm. situation. In many parts of the country, it's just the reverse of that. Uh, and so I, I just kind of see the, the numbers of people that are playing, in my opinion, are, are adequate. Uh, and I think that the part of our, our pain is going on in our sport right now is that we were oversupplied and it's beginning to balance itself. And certainly we want to try to get as many people to play our sport as we can. Sure. Uh, yep. That's one thing. But I, I think the, the the issue we're having with golf course closures, to me, is, an, is a balancing uh, of supply and demand when the golf courses really weren't built to drive more people to play golf. They were built to increase real estate values. That's all. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting point that you raise, Clint, and, and you're exactly right. Um, you know, I think that, you know, during, uh, particularly during the 80s and even into the 90s, um, there was a lot of, you know, obviously in between uh, some brief recessions and so forth, um, there was substantial uh, real estate development here, um, and not just in the United States, but in Canada as well, but pr- primarily in the United States. And I'm going to read so the next segment, and then, Pete, I'm going to uh, bounce back to you um, because this sort of falls into line with what uh, both of you are talking about, but, um, uh, Clint, what you were just running here. Um, there were 456 million rounds of golf played uh, in 2017 with an average of 19 rounds per golfer. Uh, total golf course supply declined by 1.5% uh, within the last year. Uh, with the opening of 15 and a half new 18-hole equivalent uh, golf courses and 205.5 course closures, in a continuation of a correction in supply and demand, um, which goes right to what you were just talking about, Clint. Um, the U.S. remains the best-supplied golf market in the world, with 14,794 facilities, 75% of which are open to all players. So. Uh, again, you've got about 25% of the facilities here in the United States that still remain private. Um, but, you know, Pete, Clint really talks about something here, and, and I think we would all agree. Certainly we do want to see the numbers go up. But I think in a lot of ways, I think what the industry has been going through here over the last several years is really um, uh, sort of a play on words, but course correction. Uh, we've had a um, a big supply which has greatly exceeded the demand that we've had in the industry because really the numbers of, of golfers has certainly changed, but it hasn't changed drastically uh, as much as what I think has been hyped up. What are your thoughts on what I just read out? And, uh, and do you agree with, with a lot of what Clint talked about? Is, is, as much as we hate to see uh, some of the courses being closed down, uh, maybe this is what's been needed in order to you know, strengthen the industry as a whole. Well, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, that's that's exactly what's happening. I think it's, you know, as you said, it's beginning to correct itself, and the facilities, um, you know, are closing. So now the the demand is going to go up, which is, you know, which is a good thing. But, you know, uh, I, I think he hit on a really good point there. I mean, the the vast majority of of golfers 
are are in an in in an older age and you know they they probably have what maybe seven eight years of productive golf left and so we've mm-hmm. got to figure out you know how we're going to replace these golfers um you know um it's going to be an important thing that, that we're going to have to look at and 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 in the meantime how do we keep these ones playing you know how do we how do we keep them out there as as they're advancing up there but i think you know, from a facility standpoint, yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, big time. You know, every time you turned around, there was a golf course with homes built all the way around it. And it was, the golf course was secondary. It was the, the real estate development that was primary. And the golf course was there to attract people to buy the homes. And I think, you know, over time, that just got, uh, you got too many. And there weren't enough people to continue uh, to buy those homes. And then the ones that actually, we're moving out of them and the ones that are moving in aren't playing as much golf. That wasn't the attraction in the first place. So, um, mm. you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I've, I've talked with some guys that, uh, you know, are very keen in these numbers uh, of, you know, the number of golf courses that continue to close. And, and I think from an overall standpoint, um, you know, the old business model of, of the golf course, uh, I think is just going to have to change. You know, it used to be yeah. you had, uh, you know, the golf course would drive the restaurant in the driving range, and, and I think it has to be the other way around now. I think the entertainment needs to drive the golf course. And so, right. you know, I've, I've been looking at facilities, too, that have been up for sale, and, and you know, the banquet facility is the leading, uh, you know, on the spreadsheet makes more money than anything. It makes more money than the golf course, mm-hmm. the restaurants, you know, so, you know, there's a, there's a different way it has to be looked at, I think, from an overall model in order to make these productive and also to, uh, you know, to keep, keep the demand in, in, you know, I'd like to see the demand continue to go up. You know, we need it, you know, let's, let's, let's drive that up. And I think it's just going to be a benefit for everybody. Yeah. And let's also not forget too, guys. I think one of the other factors that has played a lot in, in golf, you, you mentioned it as, as did Clint, but you know, there's other parts uh, of a golf course that can really generate revenue like the banquet facilities and, and other things besides just the teaching aspect of it and, and even, uh, you know, playing on the course. Um, but there's another component here that I want to throw in here real quick, and I don't want to spend too much time because I know we've talked about this many times on the show. Um, but the accessibility to instruction now has become so readily available online that the average person doesn't necessarily have to go to the golf course anymore. I mean, we would certainly like them and we want them to come out and yes, they do need to, uh, to get out there and actually hit some real shots um, as opposed to just sitting at home watching videos about it all the time, but they're getting a lot of their, their meat and potatoes, if you will, through online coaching and online teaching. So a lot of times, um, you know, as, as, as instructors and coaches, certainly not everybody, but there's a lot pushing that side of it. So in a way, we've kind of done ourselves a little bit of, I mean, I think it's great, but I think we have to expect that the outcome is going to be that we're going to get less people coming to the door um, if they're able to get the same information online as opposed to coming in and, you know, paying 75 or $100 or whatever it is an hour that they're paying uh, to meet with a, a golf instructor. Um, very quickly, both of you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, has online instruction played a, a role as well in, in some of the decline, do you think, um, or, or not? Uh, Clint, go first, then Pete. 
Well, I guess if you want to, to, to isolate the instructional business of the golf course, I, I would think it certainly would have to have some effect. I'm not so sure to have any effect on the overall operation of the facility because people still got to have a, a golf course to play what they're trying to learn. Right. So if you isolate it down to the instructional revenue stream, I think, sure, it, it's had an effect. And I, I think that's why you're beginning to see more and more of our instructors becoming very specialized. Yes. It's, okay. And very, you know, like with me, I, you know, focus on scoring and chipping and putting. Very focused, uh, you know, and and uh, specialized in certain areas. Uh, I think that that one of the things that I, I I think that some instructors are doing this. I hear more about it all the time. Is they're focusing on um, junior development through the thirteen to eighteen to. To, to be a coach to help them determine if they want to play college golf and to 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 try to help them work their way through that process you know I see more and more of that cropping up I think in our in our industry that they become kind of this you know uh, I don't want to say lifestyle coach but kind of it where do you want to be when you're 18 or 19 years old and can I help you get there over the next five and developing programs to help kids develop as far as they can but but certainly it has affected the the revenue stream for instructions. But um, but I I think it's very similar to things that you know the old retail storefront and the malls have to have to react to Walmart and and uh, the internet. How to how do you participate in in that revenue stream? Although um, we've been at it a long time, and and you have to you have to adapt. So um, you begin to see more and more instructors having those online videos. I remember, you know, 15 years ago when it first started, you had to spend 30 minutes to find one. Now it's, you know, there's hundreds of thousands. I've got some out there that we did years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And so you just you just have to, to use that and, and try to, I guess I always looked at it as almost advertising. Uh, in your local market, hey, go look at my mm -hmm. videos. If you, you know, this is what I do in my lesson programs, and and I think you, you just have to, you know, I hate to say this, but you kind of have to play the game. You got to get out there and do what's new in order to bring people yep. to you. Uh, I think we we have yeah. we have gotten used to sitting back over the years, and they come to us. Now we have to go out and sell ourselves. Sell the, the idea that, that the way we do things will help you improve uh, versus the guy down the street. I, I hate to say that we have to compete against our fellow <laughs> professionals. And sure. uh, and it's obvious that the people that do this primarily online, they don't have any trouble doing that. So we yeah, have to, that, that's yeah. – go ahead. Yeah, that's a great – no, I was just going to say that's a great point. And Pete, I know because uh, you know, Pete, I know that you do both um, on course and online is one of the reasons why I want to mention that because obviously, uh, as Clint said, you know, we we do have to as instructors we do have to reach out now. Um, you know, the, the, I think the days of of you know showing up at the golf course and opening the doors and waiting for people to show up. I think is far and few between. I think that we have to, in an ever-changing global market, we have to be more uh, aggressive in the sense that we have to start reaching out within our communities 
um, not just locally, but even uh, outside of our, our immediate area, uh, in order to uh, peak interest, because we're competing against not just other golf professionals down the street or even uh, in other areas of the state, but uh, we're competing with other industries as well that are using some of these similar tools for their marketing and their, uh, you know, interaction with their, with their, uh, you know, um, students and what have you. So, you know, Pete, obviously I know that this is something that we've talked about before that you're doing and uh, I agree with, it. I think it's, it's a, you have to find a balance. Um, what are your thoughts on, on what uh, some of what I talked about earlier with the stats and that, and then what do you think about the video component to it? Well, you know, when you look at it, I'll just tell you what my personal deal is and, and how it works for me. I mean, I do the vast majority of my work online, and it's it's a two-way street. Now, there may be in, in the situation where if I've got some guy from Texas who's taken my online program, you know, he may not be taking the lessons in Texas, but he's still playing golf in Texas. So, you know, I haven't taken him right. off the golf course. I've just, I, I might've taken him off the range. So yeah, there's a little bit of, of, you know, disconnect there, but they're still playing golf. So, um, you know, I also have some others that, that do online with me in the area and they go to the range that I teach at to, to hit balls. So, they practice there even though they don't come to me personally they're doing my online stuff and they go where i actually teach and practice so hey they're getting more revenue from me just you know getting out there and grabbing them so Mm -hmm. it's a two-way street it can go both ways but um i think also too when you look at online as a whole um and clint said it there are a lot of guys out there that can do it really well and and there's some that don't do it really well and so, you know, it's, it's like anything else. You, you may find some that are getting some information that may not be as beneficial to them. So you're going to run into that aspect as well. Um, but you're going to find that in, in any kind of business area, you know, and, and you have to make adjustments mm-hmm. to it. I mean, I made this adjustment because, you know, all of these, these kids that I, I'm around are on have technology in their pockets, and it was easier for me to go online to get them. And I can tag yep. them because it's easy for me now um, when I send them something, I know they're going to get it because they're always looking at their phone. It's going to pop up in front of them. And so um, I just joined the bandwagon and, and went with it, and it just started to grow and grow. So, I mean, I've done it more and more. But, um, yeah, I do agree there's a balance in there somewhere that has to be met. Um, but I think the trend is is continuing to go with more online uh, more technological uh, advancements and, and the videos and the things that you can do. So I, I think the percentages are probably going to continue to go up. Um, and so we mm-hmm. have to continue to figure out how do we can still convert them um, into playing golf. So e- even though it may be a place where they're not taking the lessons directly from the pro that's there, but they're still playing golf. So there's still a benefit to each. Um, so I still think it's, um, I think it's a viable option. Um and I, I just see, you know, more and more of these places are popping up, the top golfs, the, the you know, indoor yep. studios, the indoor facilities. Um, they're, they're popping up everywhere. And so it's just something that uh, it's different. Um, but, um, you know, they're still going to want to go to a golf course and, and play it outdoors and, and play it for real. So um, that's still going to be something that's going to be needed. Yeah. I quite uh, answered and- what you wanted, but <laughs> – yeah, no, you you did it perfectly. You did exactly what I was uh, what I was hoping for. No, that was perfect, Pete. Um, you know, I, I want to throw something else in here real quick that that really 
sort of piggybacks on that a little bit. And, and I'm going to read something else from the report. Of course, uh, for those of you uh, tuning in a little bit later in the segment, I uh, just want to let you know what we're talking about here. And it's based off a 2018 golf industry report that was put out by the National Golf Foundation. Um, they issue this report annually. And just to clarify, um, they cross all spectrums of the golf industry. It's not just the teaching side, but it's also uh, the facilities uh, in other areas as well. So uh, it's a sort of a, a fairly well-rounded and uh, a fairly thorough uh, report as well. And we're just talking about some of the points. Um, I'm not going to go over, obviously, what we've already talked about. If you want to do that, you can uh, go back and listen to the recorded version after the end of the broadcast tonight. Um, but something else I want to throw back on, which sort of, again, culminates with what we're just, we were just talking about with the video aspect of it, uh, the number of U.S. non-golfers who said they are now very interested in playing at a golf course hit a new measured high at 14.9 million. This represents a 16% jump over 2016, and the continued increase in latent demand helped boost the number of golf newcomers, 2.6 million, for the fourth year in a row. So obviously, some of what the industry is doing is is reaching a new uh, community, if you will. And I think this really touches on what you just talked about, Pete, and that is now moving out in other forms and other formats other than just at the golf course is bringing in a new breed of golfer. Uh, certainly we've got, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, uh, some of our older golfers obviously have adapted to um, you know, some of the, uh, uh, the new formats, video and, and uh, online uh, teaching and so forth. Uh, but there's also a, a, a younger, newer generation that uses technology uh, to gain information or get information or even just to inquire about something that they may have an interest in. That's how they, uh, you know, I hate to use the term, but they Google what it is they're interested in and then decide from that point based on the information. So if the information that we're putting out through these different social media platforms is not sound and tight uh, or, or is mis, um, you know, giving them misinformation, um, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. So I think that we have to be very vigilant uh, both at the golf course, but also in our online presence as well, because we don't want to give people the wrong information. So it's a very interesting stat, um, or a group of stats, if you will. Um, what are your thoughts on that? That's certainly very encouraging. Um, uh, Pete, I'm going to back up on you and then, and then Clint. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's definitely encouraging that we're getting newer and newer players coming to the game. I mean, that's, that's something that we're all striving for. Um, as we mm-hmm. talked about before, we've got so many of the older ones that are leaving. We've got to replace them. Um, so I don't know if it makes the overall number change, um, but we need a turnover um, because, you know, we're going to be losing uh, quite a number of golfers here in the next five to seven years. Um, it's coming, mm-hmm. and they're, gonna, they're not going to be playing anymore. So, yeah, you know, any way that we can, we can use these venues to, to introduce the game to them, and then get them out on the golf courses. You know, I'm all for that. I, I think it's a great thing to do. I mean, I've, um, as much as, you know, anybody wants to look at, and I've heard it time and time again, oh, top golf's not real golf. I said, well, it's, it's hitting the ball at a target, and that's what we do. So, yeah, it is real golf. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, the gist of it. And if you can get somebody out there to, to figure out how to hit it at a target, then get them out in the real golf course and, uh, and show them the value of the real game, then I think it's just a win-win for everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, you know, like I said, the, the, the old business model, maybe not be what it is. We, we've got to reach out and, and grab as many of these, you know, 
uh, I don't want to call them quote unquote millennials who, who love this type of technology and the, and the entertainment aspect of it. Um, we have to grab them. Um, otherwise I think we're going to lose out if we don't. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I read out an interesting stat um, and it was just not, not so much a stat. Let me back up uh, through somebody else that I was talking with. Uh, and I, I think I mentioned it on one of the panel discussions one night, um, but uh, somebody in our profession actually went and spoke to uh, a fairly large group of millennials and asked them over a five day period, if after, uh, you know, school, if, uh, or after, you know, work or what have you, uh, if they could, um, you know, do a different uh, sport or some other activity um, that was fun. And it was, based on a hundred, actually, I take this back. Let me correct this for a second. It was a hundred middle schoolers. Um, and they were asked, that's right. I apologize. Um, it was a hundred middle schoolers that were asked this question. If they could, uh, do something, an extracurricular activity after school, uh, for the five days in a row and they could pick something different each day, what would it be? And the sad part of it is, is not one out of that hundred, um, even mentioned golf. So, that sends, and that's just a, you know a hundred uh, you know that wasn't weren't handpicked or anything like that. It was just a randomly a hundred that were asked. That in itself is a little bit disturbing because that tells us that the industry is not doing a good enough job of getting into not just the school systems but into that demographic. That with the exceptions of those that are already committed in some sort of junior golf programs, um, they're not um, really being targeted. Um, and, and talked about the game they're into other sports or other activities because they're being aggressively marketed uh, or pursued, if you will. And I want to read out some other things. And, Clint, I'm going to get you to, to respond. Um, as I mentioned, I was going to read out some of the other stats here uh, about age. Uh, the number of golfers age 65 and over increased 13%, which is certainly, again, good news, to 3.6 million in 2017. Uh, this number will continue to increase as the balance of baby boomers uh, cross that milestone. So it's going to increase, obviously, for a while as, as more and more baby boomers come in. Um, but as uh, Pete just mentioned, there is going to come a point in time where that's going to level off and start going the other way. So let's get you to answer, if you would, first off, um, about that particular bit of uh, information I just read out, and then also what you think about going after that next uh, demographic. Well, I, I think if you go back and you think about, you know, what hap was happening in society as a general, I'm at the tail end of the baby boomers, and and we're kind of the 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 head the head of the soccer mom generation, right? Where the where we we lost the identity, and you brought it up a minute ago that 75 percent of the golf courses today are open to the public, 25 uh, not. I'd like to see the stat of 30 years ago. I think it would right. be dramatically different. Okay, so so what has happened? I think we're beginning to to see this next generation is when we we as an industry lost an entire generation of kids. Mm -hmm. Those kids now are 35 years old. Yeah, those, those were the kids that were playing soccer and going to the the YMCA was was beating us to death, getting those kids to play soccer and softball, and they were building their membership, and we were losing. Okay? 
the the moms and dads started going to the Y playing soccer, and the kids did. And that generation didn't join the country club because they was public golf, and they weren't that interested because the kids wanted to play soccer. All their friends were doing that, and it was so much yeah. easier to, to to do that. So we're now beginning to see that that kid that we lost to the to the soccer field, their children are those middle schoolers you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Okay, and right. so. They're not golfers, so their 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 middle schoolers don't. You know, it's a it's a play. It played right on out into the next generation as it goes. So we have to try to attract. I think it, it, it's it's like the nine and wine. Okay, we've got to to get to a point to where uh, there's entertainment with playing nine holes of golf after you're done. Maybe it's a glass of wine or it's the football game this weekend. Come on out and play nine holes for whatever you want to charge, and after that we're going to have, you know, uh, snacks and watch the game. So it's mm-hmm. not just playing golf. It's what we've been seeing, too, in, in how we've set golf courses up uh, is that we don't have the traditional golf shop, bar, and dining room configuration of the golf courses now. Right. It, the the whole industry is moving towards activity center. Uh, you know, not to not to bring up what I'm doing right now, but we don't have that. If you come into to our place of business right now, you're going to come into where we do all the business. We've it's all done right there in the same spot. Mm-hmm. You can pay your green fees and get a hot dog, same spot. And that's the type of activity centers that we want to start seeing in our golf business because that's what the guys the the people who are in their 30s to to 20s that's what they they like so we have to give them the entertainment factor at the course as far as whether whether it's good or bad we have top golf and things whatever it takes to get them to come to the golf course to try it and i know there's been a lot of emphasis through the pga and national golf foundation and usga about promoting nine holes you know, we don't mm-hmm. have to play 18, you know. Um, and, and that's a wonderful thing because we're beginning to see uh, a little bit of an increase in nine-hole play after work. You know, the old twilight rate is now kind of gone away. It's an afternoon rate, and then we got the nine-hole rate after a certain time you can come out and play nine holes. Right. You know, and we're beginning to see that catch on a little bit. Uh, so... You know, it's a it's a roundabout thing, but if you look at it on the long view of why is those middle schoolers not mentioning golf is because their parents didn't play golf because they were the ones that we lost to the soccer moms. Yeah. So we have to break that somehow, and to be honest with you, I'm not real sure uh, how to do that. It, it's difficult. So I think we almost have to begin uh, – to, and in many areas, this is happening to get programs into the schools. But with with the school atmosphere today, it, it's difficult to to have enough time in the day to do that. These kids, you know, they're 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 trying to use as much instructional time, and you know, PE is not like it was when we were kids. You know, it it right. used to every every day you went out for an hour. Now it's kind of well, maybe we'll go today, maybe we won't. You know, um, and. Instead of having a golf team at the at the middle school or the or the 
or the elementary school. You know, and I, I do know the PGA Junior, uh, you know, league stuff is really going well, and, and the people mm-hmm. that are involved there should be highly credited. But, you know, at the local school here, the elementary school's got one of the best ar- archery teams in the country. Mm-hmm. Not a golf team, an archery team. You know, and so therefore those industries, like you say, those industries are beating us to the punch. Yeah. For whatever reason, uh, they are just beating us to the marketplace. And that's why those middle schoolers didn't mention golf. You know, there's not a golf presence in their school. And it's just time to do that, to be honest with you. It's very difficult, so. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Uh, some great points, and I think too, uh, in in my opinion, I think one of the things, in order to pick up, um, I think one of the the biggest mistakes that the industry has done, um, in addition to passing by that that generation, is now they think, well, okay, we're going to target the next generation, and they're still leaving that group out. And really, there's an opportunity here to introduce golf. Uh, as a family component as well and really you know to pick up that lost generation because obviously as you said they're in that 35 uh, age group in in that range you know give or take a few years Um, they've got kids now they're working they want to do activities that involve their kids golf has not been but that doesn't mean it, it can't be so there's an opportunity there, not just shuffling their kids into a junior golf program. Let's get the family involved. Let's find a way to reach out to that lost family, if you will, and get them interested in the game, something that they can do together as a family, because that's really what they want to do. They want to do you know, with the kids, and that's why they go, like you said, the soccer moms and, and uh, baseball and all these other sports, because it's something they can do as a family golf has not been introduced to them in that way so there's an opportunity there pete i want to read out a few more things so we can move along here and then i want to get you to uh, comment as well um the first part is sort of a breakdown Uh, again uh juniors ages 6 to 17 uh young adults 18 to 35 comprise more than 35 35 sorry 37 percent of all on-course golfers uh, with 2.7 million junior participants and 6.2 million young adults. Uh, these groups make up 69% of the off-course only participation pool. So that's an interesting thing. I want to get a comment on that, and then I want to move on to the next thing as well. So, I'm, so keep that in, in mind. I'll come back if you need me to. Um, there are 5.8 million women who played golf on a course in 2017. Women account for 24% of the on-course golfer based, uh, sorry, golfer base, and 41% of off-course only play. So here, again, goes to what what um, we've all sort of been talking about here the last little while, is that that younger generation and also even many women are being funneled into uh, predominantly an off-course um, golfing experience, uh, which is a good thing. Now we need to, to get them to coming out to the golf course. Pete, what are your thoughts on, on some of the stats? If you need me to read something back to you, again, uh, just because there was a lot of information there, I'll be more than happy to. But what are your thoughts on that? And and do you find it equally interesting as well, not just with the junior stats that I read out, but also uh, with the number of women that are getting into golf? Uh, you know, it's 
you know, based on, you know, having, I'll put it this way. My kids are 26 and 29. So those stats don't surprise me at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just in knowing that some of their friends, uh, you know, some of the, some of the younger ones that, um, you know, younger brothers and sisters. So, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me. I, you know, I think you said what, 37% of on course, which, you know, in that age group yep. is, that's uh, kind of low. I mean, we, we need to pick that up. It needs to be a lot higher. Um, but you know, then again, it goes back to what Clint was saying. The entertainment value uh, has to be dragged to the on course. Otherwise, it doesn't entice them. You know, it's just not, it's just not there for them. Um, you know, and I think that that is, uh, as an industry, is one of the, the greatest challenges I think we're going to face is how do, how do we make golf more entertaining? I mean, you know, I, you, you see some of the, the PGA Tour events where the fans are going crazy and people don't like it, and I'm saying, I'm all for it. I mean, let's, you know, it's entertainment. I mean, you know, we've, we've right. got to bridge that gap. If, if we can show them on TV that it's fun to be out there, well, maybe they'll want to go out there. So, I mean, that's, that's some of the things that, that – um, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see that number switch with, with the ladies. You know, I'd like to see them start outdoors and not indoors. I can see the draw. Obviously, you got the, you know, the, the, the top cost. It would be a huge draw to bring them in with food and drinks and, you know, introduce them to the game. Um, we've got to do the same thing on outdoors. It, it has to be the same type of entertainment value, food and drink, and let's, let's bring them to the golf course. You know, the golf course yeah. may have to set up a thing where, you know, they, they take two or three holes and, and cut an afternoon off and, and you just, you know, everybody plays around it and you introduce them to the game. You have some, some wine, some food, bring a food truck, park it out there, whatever you got to do, um, you know, bring some entertainment out and, and start introducing, you know, what it is uh, to the game. And I, I think in that age group too, you know, um, my wife is a PE teacher and, and does do mm-hmm. golf. And, and I would certainly like to see, a much better, um, you know, indoor setup that that could take advantage of of a gym situation to introduce these kids to golf. I know there's some some uh, outfits out there that do it, but um, you know, some of them either have to pay them an enormous amount of money to get the equipment, or the equipment just isn't up to speed for what you really want to see. And so I think you know there's there's an avenue right there that uh, could be huge to introduce kids to golf and getting it in the schools. And I have to clinch your spot on. It's it's not it's not offered, so it's just not people aren't gonna pick it because they don't know anything about it. So I think this is a yeah. great way to to introduce it back to that age group and, and hopefully flip those numbers around. Yeah, well said. Uh, I wanna read out two other um short snippets here and then Clint I'm going to get you and Pete to to comment on this because I think this is equally interesting again for those of you just tuning into the program um, we're obviously uh, on the coaches corner panel segment Uh, just a a quick reminder I'm not going to be having uh, an interview guest in the second half Uh, I had made a change last minute change Uh, the guest that was scheduled for tonight is going to be coming on another week Um, obviously we're coming into a long weekend here Labor Day weekend so uh, a lot of people have uh, have made plans and are heading out of town and that early. So um, that's essentially what happened here. So uh, my good friends, uh, Pete Buchanan and Clint Wright, are here joining me on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. We're going to talk a little bit more uh, about a, um, a report that uh, we've been discussing here for the last uh, almost an hour uh, that was put out here recently by the National Golf Foundation, uh, their 2018 golf industry report, talking about some of the different stats and numbers uh, about golf in general. 
And I want to uh, sort of close this segment off, and then we'll spend just a few more minutes uh, talking about some other things very quickly, uh, and then I'm going to let you guys uh, go because I know you've got things to do. Um, but here's two other things, and Clint, I'm going to get you to, to respond first, and Pete, I want you to, to uh, follow up. Uh, newcomers to golf are increasingly diverse. 35% uh, are female, 26 are non-Caucasian, and 70% are under the age of 35. So again, shows you that large number of junior golfers or young adult golfers. Um, but here's a very interesting stat as well that I think really uh, needs the industry needs to particularly pay attention to. Uh, golf's total reach of 97.6 million people in the U.S. is comprised of 32.1 million total golf participants plus 65.5 million who watched and or read about golf but didn't play uh, on or off a golf course. This represents about one-third of the U.S. population age 6-plus and is 3% greater than 2016. So let me just go back first off, Clint. Um, let's talk, touch about the, um, the diversity, and then I want to follow up and talk a little bit about uh, the golf's total reach, and I'll read some of those numbers again uh, briefly. But, you know, so again, we're looking at better than a third are female, uh, not quite a third, but uh, are non-Caucasian, so we're obviously reaching a broader diversity uh, of, of ethnicity, if you will, in, in golf. Um, and 70%, and this, of course, we're talking about newcomers, are under the age of 35. So a lot of positives there. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think those numbers are, are probably pretty obvious. Um, one, there's a tremendous effort going on in our industry right now across the entire spectrum to increase female golf. I mean, so I, I think that the efforts that are being done there on television and and uh, with uh, the PGA uh, becoming more diverse as far as the membership is concerned, and you're seeing more more and more female uh, professionals at the golf courses, I think that that effort is is obviously paying off. Um, the diversity of of the the uh, ethnicity of people that play, uh, I think, is a reflection of our country as a whole. Um, yep. And as far as the younger group being a large segment, I, I think that's also an obvious thing. They're they're now out of college. They've got a job, and and they're maybe in their their workplace. People are playing golf, and so they're beginning to want to play to be part of the group. You know, to to interact and network with in their workplace. I, I think those numbers, would, I, be honest with you, would be expected with the effort that's being made for female golf that generation getting into their workplace, which is the same thing has been for years. I mean, you, you leave college right. at 23 or 24, you work your way into a job, and you finally get a little extra time to network and play golf. I mean, I think those numbers are pretty obvious, um, yep. to be honest. But in, and I think the efforts are, are paying off. Um, it, as far as the, the second number you bring up, as far as the people that read about it or watched the TV – you know, we've we've had some pretty interesting stories in golf over the last few years. Mm -hmm. you, you know, people yep. see it in the newspapers. They see it on the news. Tiger Woods rehabbing, and there's a lot going on in our industry. You know, you got the Ryder Cup gets a bigger profile, and you got n younger names winning the Open and, and all these tournaments. So I think we've had really a good good bit of interest because there's been some interesting things happening. Um. Mm -hmm. You know, whether Tiger's winning or losing, it's obvious when he's in the tournament is good for us. And 
right. all the what the, the negatives, all the troubles he's been through, people are interested in him. They want to know how things are going. So I, that don't surprise me either that a lot of people have read or saw stories of, about golf in the last year because we've honestly finally got around to where we got some interesting stories to tell. Yep. Yep. No, I, I agree. Um, Pete, what are your thoughts on, on both areas? Um, again, obviously the a substantial percentage of newcomers to the game are female uh, as well as non-Caucasian. Um, and I think we can obviously thank uh, golfers like Tiger and, and others um, that have more diverse uh, ethnic backgrounds, uh, especially Tiger, obviously, because he, he's been such a dominant factor for, for a long time um, that have brought uh, golfers of, of, of other ethnicities to the game uh, and also the, the junior golf uh, and uh, younger players as well. And then we'll touch uh, on the, uh, the other stat that, that Clint just wrapped up on. What are your thoughts on, on both of these areas? Well, I'm, you know, echo a lot of what Clint said, but I, you know, I think the industry, the business industry as itself has so many more, um, you know, female workers moving up the, moving up the chains, mm. uh, having more money, more time. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're on the golf course as well. Um, it, it's just a, a fundamental of, I, I think of how our society is moving. Um, and, and I, I echo Clint too, with, you know, it's just, you know, our, our country is diverse and I, I think that's just only going to add to the numbers. Um, but I, I think he's spot on with, with what's going on and with golf. I mean, there's, you know, the stories that came out with, with some of the, the LPGA players saying, you know, that we don't have a program uh, for our, our junior girls uh, to be competitive, um, mm-hmm. you know, at that top level. And I think they're spot on. I, I think we need to address that. And I think that's just going to bring more and more girls to the game. Um, and, and develop them more in, into, you know, elite players. Um, but, you know, Tiger's always going to be a huge draw. I mean, you just see, just with him coming back to play, I mean, I was out at the PGA Championship, and I saw it. Um, I mean, the crowds following him were enormous. And I've been to a lot of tournaments. Yeah. Um, and, and not only was it the crowd following, but the, the amount of it, it was ironic because I had my son with me, and when Tiger went past us on number four on Sunday, there had to have been a hundred media following him, and then the two leaders oh, sure. behind him. I mean, <laughs> there was maybe ten media following him. I mean, it was right. unbelievable. I mean, the entourage walking behind that group was was just enormous, and that was on both sides of the rope. It was crazy how much media was following his group on Sunday. So. It's a huge story, and I think that's why you see so many people are, are interested. And so now it goes back to the, the same whole question. How do we get them into the game now? We've got 65 million people who are, who are you know, tweaking an eye at it. How do we advance it and get them out to play? So, yeah, I think those numbers are, are spot on. I mean, it makes sense to me. Um, but I still think, you know, we have to, as an, as an industry, we've got to figure out, you know, how do we grab that 65 million? How do we how do we turn it around so we can get them to play? Yeah, shoot, shoot. I, I'm gonna ten percent of them. It'd be awesome. Yeah, I I, I want to just add a couple things, and you're you're exactly right, Pete. Um, some some great points as well. Um, I, I just want to add a couple things just to to this part of the conversation, and then then we're gonna wrap up the uh, this particular segment, and then we'll just take a few more minutes to to talk about something else. But um, there's no doubt that Tiger has has really diversified um, 
who's actually come into the game and who watches the game. Uh, you know, Tiger has been a, a huge draw. There's no, nobody can question that. Um, I think really the only one that I would compare that to, um, obviously on a, on a much different scale, but for different reasons and obviously uh, different time, uh, would be Arnold Palmer. When Arnold Palmer, you know, was out in the golf course and, you know, who forgets, uh, you know, the entourage and, and Arnie's army that followed him around. And of course, when, when golf was first televised, I mean, you know, again, obviously the crowd sizes were much different than what they are today, but uh, it was the same thing. A lot of people followed Arnold Palmer because he was an exciting person to watch. He was charismatic. Um, you didn't know, you know, you always knew that, that something uh, interesting was going to happen and, and he was going to make that charge if he was behind um, the leaderboard, then he was going to make that charge. If he was leading, then he was going to press on. So, you know, Arnie and, and, and Tiger uh, are, are very similar in a lot of ways, obviously for different reasons and different generations, but they they both had big draws for their time. And Tiger obviously is still in his time, and there'll come a point in time, obviously, that will phase out as he moves and transitions away from the sport and gets into other uh, projects uh, later in life. But um, but again, he will always have, uh, you know, everybody's going to have one eye on Tiger. What's he doing this week? Um, but I think as far as the, the larger population that's, you know, watching and, and reading about golf, Clint, as you pointed out, there's been a lot of, and, and Pete, there's been a lot of interesting stories that have uh, come over uh, in golf here recently. And I think one thing that I want to mention, and I'm very excited, I've mentioned this a number of times, not only on this show, but on uh, my Tuesday morning broadcast with Cindy, the Women of Golf, and that is coming this fall, uh, Susie Whaley is going to be taking over as the president uh, of the PGA of America. Uh, I'm very excited about that for a couple of reasons. I think Susie is a very smart and intelligent woman, and I think she brings a fresh outlook uh, to the game. And the reason why I say that, even though she's been a part of the game for many years, I think that there has been uh, a stagnation, if you will, for a long time in golf. And even though there's been a lot of changes that we've talked about tonight, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what she's going to bring to the table uh, to the PGA of America. I mean, she's been involved. She was a vice president uh, in in that organization for a number of years, but is now going to be moving uh, and spearheading as president uh, beginning this fall. So I'm very interested to see what direction uh, or what changes, if any, uh, or what, you know, what some of her, her thoughts are going to be as she moves forward with the PGA of America organization. So I'm very interested and excited to see what's going to happen. Um, but I think it goes back to a point as well that I mentioned earlier on in golf in general is I think golf has to be more family-oriented, not just so much individual. Uh, and I'll give you a great case and point. Uh, back in July of this year, I took a little – uh, jaunt out to Las Vegas. And one of the things that they've done in Las Vegas, uh, and I'm not talking about golf here, but just as as a whole, the city of Las Vegas, uh, even though predominantly it's known as, as uh, the gambling capital of the world, if you will, um, but they've actually made a lot of changes. Um, there are a lot of other things to do. Uh, it's become very family-oriented in a lot of ways. Uh, certainly the gambling has not left, but there's a lot of other activities that that go on that i mean it's just amazing how many families i saw when i was walking uh up the strip uh this this past uh summer or th- this past july um and just you know young kids older kids um and incredible shopping that they didn't have you know 
maybe much more than five, six years ago. So they've obviously recognized that this is where the market is changing, that not everybody wants to sit in a casino and gamble all day long. Um, they want other things. So they've got other other activities going on there in Las Vegas. And I think this is what the golf industry, Clinton and Pete, as you talked about earlier, I think that we have to make a shift. Uh, that doesn't mean we're getting away from instruction or that we're getting away from traditional golf. It just means we have to add and complement it by adding other things and, and being more creative in, in how we uh, present uh, golf to, to, uh, to the global community. So um, those are just my closing thoughts on that. Anything else that either one of you want to add to, to what we talked about tonight? Or, or can I move on? Uh, Ted, I, I think we've pretty much covered everything we can, <laughs> to be honest with you. Some great points. So we can yeah. move right on if you like. Yeah, okay. I agree. Uh, Pete, Pete, you concur? All right. Um, one of the things I want to do, and I ask the, the guys to, to stick around for a few minutes longer, we've actually gone over uh, uh, about uh, 10 minutes or so what we normally would for Coach's Corner. It's, uh, it's normally uh, an hour-long segment, and then I'd follow up with an interview. But as I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, the interview uh, has been switched to another date, so we're going to end with the Coach's Corner. But, uh, guys, what I want to do is give you each an opportunity uh, we've we've covered a lot of topics uh, on the Coach's Corner panel over the last several years, um, and I wanted to give you guys an opportunity, and I'm going to do this with, with some of the other guys that are going to be coming on the next few weeks as well, um, and uh, I'm also going to um, say something to the, the general listening audience as well here in just a minute, but um, is there anything that, that you can think of that you would love for us to, to tackle here on the Coach's Corner panel? Uh, Pete, I'm going to start with you and then Clint. Uh, or something that we have talked about maybe in the past that maybe bears a little closer scrutiny uh, or further discussion uh, that you can think of that, that you'd love to, to have on the panel. Pete, you go first, then Clint. No, I, you know, and, and I don't know if you've done this, but I think, um, and I don't know if you could set it up, it'd be, it'd be kind of cool to have a, you know, a, a Q&A with the listeners. You know, have them okay. uh, either while it's live to be able to, to ask questions and get answers or have them submit questions you know, in advance, um, you know, the, that we could answer. I think that would be something that'd be kind of fun to, you know, just to see what, you know, what are they interested in talking about and what do they want to hear about? Um, you know, what kind of questions do they have? And, um, you know, another, another idea I was thinking about was, you know, maybe tackling some, some, uh, you know, actual swing issues and, and how would each of the guys go about fixing it? You know, I think it's always great to hear, you know, different ways of looking mm -hmm. at, um, you know, different types of things that are out there. And, and I know I enjoy, you know, discussing swings with a lot of the guys and, you know, listening to how they would go about fixing something. I think that would be something that would be interesting just to, you know, not in a negative sense. That's not what I'm talking about. Sure. I mean, you know, not, not, a, not in a Facebook sense. That turns into an all-out war <laughs> out there. Um, I'm talking about constructive, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, working on slings because yeah. you know somebody posts a video and then it's you know death march. Yeah. Everybody's after it to try to try to crush it and prove how everybody else is wrong. That's not what I mean. Just a a good you know discussion on you know here's a problem and you know here's the ways that you know I've gone about it. I've gone about it and I think it can be a, a very constructive way to, to you know just to look at um, helping the golfers, which is you know basically what we're trying to do. I agree wholeheartedly. I'm going to answer. Uh, both parts of that in a second, but I want to give Clint a chance first to uh, uh, to throw his thoughts in here, and, and then uh, I will will wrap it up. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was, it's kind of interesting. Pete said it's about Facebook. I mean, you put your video on Facebook, it's like putting blood in the water. Yeah, I mean, 
they're, they're coming for you, you know. But yeah. there, there's a from a, a standpoint of a show, I think could be could be helpful. And we we've kind of hit along a little ways here and there over the years. But I would really like to see an effort to get a couple of collegiate coaches on in Coach's Corner mm-hmm. to explain what they look for when they're recruiting. What what do they look for? You know, are they looking to what how the kid swings, his attitude, or the tournament results, what what is it? Because you know, over the years I've had an opportunity to, to be a collegiate coach for a number of years. And to be honest with you, a lot of the kids didn't have a clue what you know, when you're playing high school golf you're playing against your neighbor. You come to college, you know, it's a different game and and to let mm-hmm. these kids get a maybe an understanding of, of what it takes what's expected mm-hmm. you know uh you're an adult now you can get up to go to class kind of expectations and i i think that'd be a good show because i i've got a couple of friends that, that are in that business now of of helping kids understand what coaches are looking for and help present them to coaches and try to help in the recruiting process and i think it would really be a lot of fun and interesting if you could hook up with a couple of collegiate coaches uh, to have conversations about what they look for in a player, both both girls and boys. I, th- I think what are they mm-hmm. looking for, uh, character wise? What you know? What do they need uh, to be a, a, mm-hmm. a, a? What do they need to be to be successful collegiate golfer uh, and and to move on? I think that would be a great show. I think. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. I have. Um, in the past, not on the panel, but I have had uh, somebody that was in, in that area, uh, in that target market, if you will, come on and talk right. a little bit about that. But I, I think that would be a great show. Let me go back just quickly to, to Pete um, and, and talk very briefly about what, what you suggested. Um, when we first started the Coach's Corner uh, segment here, one of the things that I did do uh, is – certainly invite uh, people to, uh, you know, contact the program. I used, obviously, my email and obviously gave up the number. Um, one of the problems that I found, well, there were two problems. One of the problems is a lot of people, even though there's a lot listening to the show, um, are very apprehensive sometimes about calling in during a live broadcast for whatever reason. Maybe they don't want to feel like they're, you know, asking something. And I mean, I, I don't think anybody looks stupid or foolish or anything like that, and I certainly encourage it. Um, I did receive an ordinate amount of emails, um, people asking questions from literally all over the United States uh, very early on in Coach's Corner. I still periodically get some, um, but one of the things that I found out, and one of the reasons why I started driving the conversation into specific topics is it was becoming very repetitive, You know, and, and I'm just being generic here for a second, but um, I was getting a lot of people, well, how do I fix my slice? And, 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 you know, if you watch on even the golf channel, if you look at a lot of the, the um, email questions that they would get in on the golf fix or some of these other uh, programs, again, they were always very generic and very basic. Um, you didn't really get, so this is why I've tried to pick specific topics. Um, but I, what I do want to encourage the listeners, so I'm talking to the listeners here for just a second. I do want to encourage you, uh, to email uh, the program, and if you uh, email questions.golftalklive at gmail.com, that's questions 
www.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, I will certainly uh, throw them up on the show and, and pose them to the guy. So we're certainly inviting that. Or they're welcome to call in during the Coach's Corner segment. If they've got some questions, I will be more than happy uh, to take those calls. And let me just very quickly, and I will uh, post that out there, but the number that they can call in uh, is area code 646-716-4667. It's 646-716-4667. Or they can email their questions uh, to the show, uh, to the Coach's Corner panel, by emailing questions.golftalklive at gmail.com. Um, so that's um, something that we definitely uh, encourage. Um, but that was one of the reasons why. Now, Pete, uh, uh, correct me. What was the second thing that you had suggested? I'm sorry, I forgot. I was talking about actual swing issues, you know, and, and how the guys would, you know, you bring up, you know, here's that's player right. A, this is what they do. How would you go about fixing it? Right. Okay. Well, I will definitely uh, do that as well. Um, what I'm going to do is we're going to, tackle some of those on, on future shows uh, and we'll get everybody's uh, response. We'll get some, hopefully some audience feedback that we can tackle some specific questions and get everybody on the panel. So we're going to do both of those. Um, and then Clint, what I'm going to do as well is, uh, and, and either of you, if you've got people that are in uh, collegiate uh, golf that are teaching uh, or coaches, uh, if you know of any, and you want, I'm going to certainly reach out to some of my contacts as well, but I, I think that's a great idea, Clint. So I think we're going to do all of the above and, and try to get more interaction. But I, I think what a lot of it is, as far as the, sometimes the interaction with, with the listeners, is a lot of them with this, with this particular format nowadays, people aren't calling in as much for this type of thing anymore. They just like to listen and hear it. So, uh, or when they do reach out, Again, it, it's very generic, uh, you know, fixing this or fixing that. And it, and it becomes, the questions became very repetitive. So it was just, you know, do I want to keep throwing the same questions up to the panel all the time or do I want to start tackling issues? One of the things that I am going to start doing uh, a little bit differently uh, in the new year, I mean, obviously we're winding down the season here for, for some of us anyways, um, as we get into the fall and, and, and uh, the last few months of the of the program, uh, for the 2018 season is uh, I'm going to start looking at bringing uh, some other special guest panelists in different areas of golf to bring them on. Um, obviously, you know, I've, I've done it with the fitness uh, before, but again, that's a little bit more difficult for some of our coaches and instructors out there that maybe uh, don't specialize in the fitness aspect of it. So I want to get uh, some other uh, industry types on the program, on the coaches corner panel, that not only they can come in and, and do a, a discussion for a few moments, but give the panelists an opportunity that if they have questions or concerns or issues that they want to discuss on the, uh, on the panel discussion, I think uh, whether it be somebody from TrackMan or, or things like that, um, I think would be, uh, make for some interesting conversations as well. So uh, great ideas, guys. And as always, um, you guys just knocked it uh, 300 yards down the middle of the fairway tonight. Great job. Uh, you you got to go 330, 340 now, though. See, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I told yeah. you we're getting a little bit older at the beginning of the show, Clint, so three, 300 know, is the best that we, that we can do. Yeah. And even that's that, we can even that's anymore. pushing it. Yeah, 300 yeah. don't cut it anymore. Yeah. No. <laughs> 
But yeah, when, um, when you stripe no. when you stripe it out there and your juniors hit it past you, it's like oh, crap. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh well. Yeah, oh, well. You know, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, speaking of of driving, let me just very quickly say this, and then and we'll we'll close off. But um, you know, I've been interviewing on the Women of Golf show, which uh, airs Tuesdays, and uh, we've been interviewing a lot of the Symmetra Tour uh, players. And I'll tell you, some of these young ladies that are coming up, you know, 19, 20 years old, some even younger than that, that are are, are hitting it, you know, Just 280, 290. Uh, I had one on the other day, um, Dottie Ardina, uh, who is the um, the leader right now for the uh, Volvic race for the card. Of course, she's trying to earn her uh, full status on the LPJ Tour for next season. Uh, but Dottie is only five foot two. And she's hitting it, you know, 240, 250. And just is able to, and, you know, right down the center. So she's not certainly the longest hitter on the on the ladies, uh, you know, uh, Symmetra Tour. But even that, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, our uh, our seniors out there would be happy even with 240, 250. So, uh, so you know, it just, it, it just hey. goes to show you, you know, right? Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Well, I, I was watching the tournament up in Indiana that the the gal that won it missed one fairway all week. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's it's what amazing. I heard. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And they're they're you know some of the girls that have been on the show have just been phenomenal. They're just really very very smart, very intelligent, and they know exactly what they want. Uh, it's very exciting right now uh, in in women's golf. I think I think the LPGA, and I want to give credit to something you pointed out earlier, Clint. You know about the you know the the sort of surgeons in, in women's golf. Uh, we got to give credit where credit's due. The LPGA um, organization has done a phenomenal job in really helping to build and and uh, obviously spearheading that is is the commissioner Michael Wan, uh, who has done a great job in in building the LPGA brand over the last several years, and mm-hmm. uh, which you know, probably is why he's, he's so beloved by um, everybody in that organization because he's just done a great job and, and really bringing them to the forefront. Um, and obviously women's golf is still not quite as big uh, as uh, the men's uh, golf, but I will say this, they have a much bigger diversity than the men's golf does. Uh, it's amazing the amount of international players that are playing on the LPJ and, and even on the, uh, uh, the feeder tours like the Symmetra. So um, a much more diverse uh, group of, of individuals coming up on those tours. So um, very exciting to see what happens in the next, uh, you know, five or 10 years uh, with the LPGA and, and uh, Symmetra tour and that, as well as the PGA. So, uh, well, guys, as always, I want to thank you for sort of giving me an ex- extended um, listen, if you will, and joining me on the coach's corner panel. You guys always do a great job and I enjoy having you and, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to find something a little extra special to do for the last uh, coach's corner of the season, and uh, and kick it off uh, for next year. But uh, thanks, guys, for for uh, always coming on and doing your best. And uh, I appreciate it. And I'm going to take what you talked about tonight uh, towards the end here um, with with the utmost. Uh, uh, sincerity and respect, and I'm going to reach out to some of these folks, and I'm going to uh, mention something very quickly here to the audience uh, after you go. But um, thanks, guys, for for doing that and staying a little bit longer tonight. I know it's not always easy, so I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome, Ted. Anytime. 
hope everything goes well for you. And Pete, have a good uh, have a good weekend. Everybody be safe on Memorial Day or Labor Day. I'm sorry. And uh, yeah. we'll see you next. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, no, I know. They always. <laughs> I know it's been long now. It. Have yeah. a great weekend. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. All right, guys. Uh, see you guys. Right. Take care. Right. Bye bye. All right, that was my very special guests on the Coach's Corner panel, giving me a little bit extra time tonight, uh, Clint Wright and Pete Buchanan, uh, a, a couple of very seasoned veterans of uh, uh, the PGA, and uh, just always enjoy uh, having them on the show. Um, very quickly, just one more uh, a few comments here I want to make, and then uh, I'm going to close off the program for tonight. But just to, to remind everybody that, um, for the Coach's Corner panel, we've got uh, an, a few more months here left in the season, so there's still time to do this. But uh, if you're listening to the show and, and uh, maybe you're struggling with your golf game a little bit and you'd love some help uh, from some of our, our great golf professionals uh, on the Coach's Corner panel, by all means, feel free to call in at any time during the live broadcast, uh, particularly on the first hour of the broadcast, which airs from 6 to 7 p.m. Central or 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can call area code 646-716-4667. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got any questions for the panel, uh, by all means, uh, you can uh, call in during the live broadcast on Thursday evenings and I'd be more than happy to do that. Uh, if you're a little shy and you don't want to call in, not to worry, you can email the questions to questions.golftalklive at gmail.com. Again, that's questions.golftalklive at gmail.com. And again, I'll be more than happy uh, to read them out, uh, don't forget to include your name and where you're from. Certainly, you don't need to include your, your full address, but uh, let us know what, uh, what state, what city you're calling from and, uh, or that you're emailing from as well so that we can give you a quick uh, uh, shout-out and plug on the show as well uh, as we answer your questions. So, again, feel free to, to either email or uh, give us a quick call on the panel discussion. I'll read that out again uh, on uh, the upcoming shows. Um, just a quick reminder as well uh, – we are coming into Labor Day. I'm going to have some shows next week. Uh, on Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, <clears throat> will be the Women of Golf show here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, I mentioned uh, this past week that uh, Cindy was going to be back. She was away this uh, last Tuesday, uh, and she was supposed to be back this Tuesday, but it was my mistake. She's actually off this Tuesday as well, which will be uh, September 4th. Um, so I'm going to have a, a couple of great uh, players from the Symmetra Tour coming on, the winner of this weekend's uh, tournament up in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, and then another great player is going to follow her uh, on the second half. So uh, Cindy will be up, but don't forget to join me uh, this Tuesday on the blogtalkradio.com network's Women of Golf from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then next Thursday, uh, I'm going to have another Coach's Corner panel and a very uh, special guest uh, who's been on the show before. Uh, she'll be joining me uh, next week, so make sure you you uh, tune in for that. Uh, and I've got some exciting news that I'm going to be announcing next week as well uh, about the Coach's Corner panel, uh, but I'll save that for next week. So uh, on that note, I want to thank all of the listeners for faithfully tuning in each and every week, uh, literally from around the globe, uh, and it's really through uh, your listenership and, of course, uh, my guest uh, appearances and their participation on the Coach's Corner panel and my interview guests. And it's really through all of your efforts that have helped make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. I say that with all um, humbleness, if you will, uh, and I appreciate it very sincerely. Um, and on that note, have a great Labor Day weekend, everybody. Be safe. 
And if you're planning on, uh, for those of you, particularly uh, in the southeast, if you're planning on uh, coming down to the beach in Panama City Beach, uh, just to let you know if you're not already familiar, uh, Pepsi has their annual Gulf Coast Jam, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> pardon me, and that's taking place this weekend. So if you uh, like some good country music, uh, they're having some great uh, country music artists uh, down here, uh, Florida Georgia Line, Eric Church, uh, just to name a couple. Uh, great uh, Emmy-winning uh, or Grammy-winning um, artists are going to be down here uh, all weekend long through Labor Day weekend. So uh, I believe there's tickets still available that you can get at the gate, uh, but head down to Panama City Beach, Florida if you've got nothing to do. Uh, if you can't get into the concert, uh, I guarantee you're going to hear the music uh, pretty much all over everywhere anyway, so it doesn't matter if you can't get in. Uh, you can go over to Pier Park, and you can probably listen to it there. Uh, otherwise, you can just head down to the beach as well and or maybe play some of the great golf courses we have in the area. So, uh, again, thank you very much for tuning in to the program tonight. God bless everybody. Have a safe and happy Labor Day weekend, and I will see you next week here on Golf Talk Live. God bless. Thank you.